the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Isaiah can say, well, let me tell you something that happened. Let me just tell you how God pulled back the curtain of heaven and allowed me to see him in his glory and a scene in heaven that is incomprehensible. And so Isaiah is giving this the background to his own calling, but that this probably happened, no doubt, before chapters 1 through 5. And so as we take a look together here, we, what we find is the backstory on his calling and commissioning by God. And again, we are allowed through the eyes of Isaiah to see into heaven. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. It has been said that God doesn't call those that are equipped, but he equips those that he's called. Isaiah was called by God to be a prophet to his people. And because God placed this calling on him, God gave him the power and ability to carry out the mission. Today, Pastor Gary will be reminding you that whatever God has called you to do and whatever God has commanded you to do, He's already given you the power and ability to obey Him. Don't delay. Walk by faith, not by sight, and see what God will do. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, as he begins his message, God's Calling. Isaiah chapter 6. We're continuing here in our study through the book of Isaiah. Again, just as a brief recap to bring you up to speed if you weren't here last week. About 150 years before Isaiah, the nation of Israel went through civil war and the nation became divided with most of the territory moving to the, separating to the north and a, a little bit of the territory separating to the south. The territory to the north retained the larger name of Israel. The territory to the south uh, got the name from one of the tribes of the southern kingdom, Judah. And the capital city of Judah is Jerusalem. So you have this divided nation during the time of Isaiah's ministry, 150 years before he was even born. You have the empire, or the territory, I should say, to the north, and you have the territory uh, to the south. Uh, Isaiah was called to minister to the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where he is exclusively called by God to minister to the people of Judah. And he warns them. First five chapters last week, he warns them, you better get your act together. You better get your life right with God or the same fate will befall you that has befallen your brothers and sisters to the north. 
And what happened in the north? God allowed the Assyrian Empire, which if you look at a map today, takes up most of Iraq, a little bit of Syria and Iran and Kuwait. God allowed the Assyrian Empire to sweep upon the northern kingdom of Israel and to besiege the northern kingdom as an act of God's discipline. Because the northern kingdom was just as guilty of idolatry and rebellion against God. And so God used the Assyrians to discipline the people that he loves. The Bible tells us God does the same thing, by the way, to us. God disciplines those whom he loves. And the Bible says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, only painful, but it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. In other words, when we experience God's discipline, because when we go astray or we start to sin against and we rebel, it's not pleasant. It is painful. But in the end, if we will submit to God and surrender to him, that discipline can actually produce fruit in our lives. The case is the same for the people of Israel. The northern kingdom has rebelled against God. God brings the Assyrians in. And Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom, and he says to them, you want to happen to you what is happening to the people of the north, your brothers and sisters of the north? If you don't, then you better get right with God. Get rid of your idols, repent from your rebellion, and turn to God that it might go well with you. So Isaiah is called into ministry to that southern kingdom of Judah. And so uh, I'm going to read here from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to look at this passage together today because this is, uh, this is probably the most important passage in all of the book of Isaiah because it sets the tone for not just Isaiah's ministry, but it actually allows us to get a glimpse of heaven because God is going to pull back the curtain to Isaiah and allow him to see a little bit of what is transpiring in heaven. This is what we read, Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Let's pause there and pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we can come here together, open up our Bibles and read this passage and we pray that it would stir our hearts, that we would get a glimpse of you and in your majesty through the eyes of Isaiah as he writes here about this vision of you and glory, that we might ourselves just be awestruck by your majesty and your glory, your goodness and your grace toward us. And even as you called Isaiah into ministry, we pray that we would be receptive to whatever direction you would call us in our lives to be used by you. How might we serve you, Lord? 
Here am I, send me. May that be the word that all of us would utter in response to your goodness and your glory. And so thank you, Lord, for this time we can share together from your word. Bless it, Lord, to our hearts. Edify us, we pray. Build us up in our faith that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Chapter 6 here of Isaiah gives us this incredible vision into heaven as God pulls back the curtain and allows Isaiah to see the Lord seated on a throne in the temple of heaven and these angelic creatures flying around uh, uttering holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we get a glimpse into heaven as we see this scene, but it is also a scene having to do with the calling and commissioning of Isaiah into ministry for the Lord's service. Um, This sixth chapter documents the time when he was called by God to be a, a, a voice to the people of his generation, and not just even to the people of his generation, but because some of what Isaiah writes prophetically hasn't even been fulfilled in our day, his voice is even still a voice for our generation. And um, you might ask, as we come here to chapter 6, why are we just now reading about his calling and commissioning here in chapter 6? I mean, he's been ministering already first five chapters. Last week we read these various statements and strong warnings from Isaiah to the people of Judah about getting their hearts right and getting their lives right with God. So why is God just now calling him here in chapter 6? Well, the fact of the matter is that most Bible scholars believe that chapter 6 is not in chronological order intentionally. That chapter 6 actually refers to earlier events that precede chapters 1 through 5, but that they are inserted here at this point for literary effect. What do I mean? Many of us have seen movies where the movie starts with something that happens at the end of the story. And then it takes you backwards in time and fills in the gaps so that you understand what transpires. That's somewhat what is happening here in the book of Isaiah. We are now getting a glimpse into something that happened earlier, that Isaiah was called by God and commissioned by God to serve the Lord and to be a voice to the people of Judah, but that this actually happened prior to chapters 1 through 5, but it is inserted here now to authenticate Isaiah's ministry. That for anyone who questions Isaiah as a prophet... Anyone who questions, by what authority are you saying these things? Isaiah can say, well, let me tell you something that happened. Let me just tell you how God pulled back the curtain of heaven and allowed me to see him in his glory and a scene in heaven that is incomprehensible. And so Isaiah is giving this the background to his own calling, but that this probably happened, no doubt, before chapters 1 through 5. And so as we take a look together here, we, what we find is the backstory on his calling and commissioning by God. And again, we are allowed through the eyes of Isaiah to see into heaven. We kind of get this glimpse of peering into heaven and to see some of the things that are transpiring there. Now, Isaiah starts here in chapter 6, verse 1, by giving us a timeline for the events. He tells us that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, in chapter 1, verse 1, he gives us the names of four kings 
because his ministry spans the reigns of those four kings, or at least touches on some aspect of those kings' reigns, which is why we know that Isaiah ministered for around 40 years. And the king who is on the throne when Isaiah first comes into ministry is Isaiah, uh, sorry, Uzziah, but Uzziah dies when Isaiah is called into ministry. It is the year that King Uzziah died, he writes here, of his commissioning. And so we know the date. Historically, Uzziah died in the year 740 B.C. So Isaiah's ministry, trying to emphasize the difference between Uzziah and Isaiah, Isaiah's ministry launches around 740 B.C., the year that King Uzziah died. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Uzziah because it plays into the understanding of the statement here that I don't want to go unnoticed. Uzziah, in the Bible, was one of the kings of Judah, And he's also known in the Old Testament as Azariah. Sometimes in the Old Testament, he's known by a different name, Azariah. Same person, Uzziah, Azariah. Uzziah becomes king at the age of 16. He barely has his driver's license. And he is called by God to be the next king of Israel, the most powerful kingdom on the earth at the time. He will reign for 52 years. It'll be the second longest reign of any king of Judah next to Manasseh. In the course of 52 years, the Bible says, as Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. And success God gave Uzziah. Uzziah was one of the most popular, successful of all the kings of Judah. Whatever he put his hand to, he was a great leader. He was a great builder. He was a great general. He was victorious in battle because he sought the Lord and the Lord was with him. He was successful in building projects. He was successful in expanding the agricultural industry and the economic industry. He built up the military of Judah. So everything was firing on all cylinders under Uzziah's reign. Very popular, very well-liked, very successful king. But he stumbled at the end of his life. Near the end of his life, because of his success, and this can happen, let this be a warning to any of us, because of his success... It fueled a little pride in his life, and he ends up one day, as the king, acting like a priest, walking into the temple of God, thinking that he can act as a priest in service in the temple, which is a no-no, because he's not part of the Levitical priesthood line. He's a king. He's separate and distinct from the priesthood, and the priests had to go through a whole ritual of purification and cleansing to be able to go into the temple to be used by God. Uzziah just kind of struts into the temple because he's king, and he thinks he can. And 80 of the other priests, kind of the assistant priests, rush into the temple, and they're like, Uzziah, what are you doing? You can't be in here, bro. I mean, in the message Bible, I'm sure it says bro. It's like, you, you can't be in here, bro. It's just like, you know, you, you, you're the king. You're not a priest. You're not cleansed. You're not called to be a priest. And Uzziah's like, I'm the king. I can do whatever I jolly well want. Jolly well also in the message Bible. And, he's, and he's, so, he, so he just kind of asserts himself as a priest. He's like, I can do whatever I want. And as he's speaking, the Bible says that God breaks out leprosy on his forehead. As he's speaking in the temple and leprosy just starts to come on, he's like, what? And all the other priests hustle him out of the temple. Like, you can't be in here because you're not a priest. But not only that, you're a leprous non-priest. And so they rush him out of the temple and they put him in his own home and he's quarantined because of his leprosy. And he'll spend the last seven years of his life in solitary confinement. And he'll die from his leprosy. 
Now, that is a bad last chapter on Uzziah's life, but overall, he's considered one of the relatively good kings of Judah because for most of his life, he sought the Lord. And as he sought the Lord, God gave him success in battle and building projects and agriculture, the economy and military. And so because of this, you need to understand the climate of the culture at the time of Uzziah's death. He was very popular, very well-liked, very successful king. So now that the king is dead, what happens to a nation whose very popular king has died? They now are thrown into some insecurity and instability. They begin to worry, what are we going to do? They're wringing their hands. They're like, oh no, Isaiah has died. And and for 52 years he reigned. So he was the king that a lot of the people of Judah had only known as, as a king. They hadn't even known others if they were born during the period of his reign. And so they're beside themselves, and, and, and they're anxious, and, and they're wondering about the future, and they're worried, and what's going to happen now, and this great king that we loved is dead. And so I want you to read Isaiah 6, verse 1, not just as a timeline. Oh, it was the year that Uzziah died. It's 740 B.C. I want you to read it as a statement as it's intended to be, because God is making a statement here about power and authority. That in the year that King Uzziah died, look at the rest of that verse, Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord, high and lifted up and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. In other words, it's not just a way of saying, oh yeah, yeah, 740 BC. It's a way of saying, though the throne on earth might be vacant, the throne in heaven is occupied, and always will be, because God is forever on his throne. And so Isaiah is saying this as a word of comfort to himself and to the people of Judah. Uzziah might be dead, yeah, but the throne of heaven is still occupied, and God is still in control, and God is still Lord, and everything's going to be okay, and he is sovereign. And he sees this about God seated on the throne. It's an important part that is juxtaposed to the first part of verse 1. That second part, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He's the one on the ultimate supreme throne. In other words, kings will come and kings will go. We know this, right? Empires will rise and empires will fall. There's not a single king, prime minister, or president right now in office who will still be in office 100 years from now. But God will still be on the throne of heaven. And all is well because God is sovereign. That's what he's saying. So this is an important thing for us to recognize. I'm going to share with you five points from this vision of heaven from Isaiah chapter 6. And this is the first one. God is always on the throne. For Isaiah and all of Judah, the death of Uzziah was a sad day. It was a day of grieving. It was a a day when all that seemed right suddenly felt very wrong. But God wants Isaiah to see that no matter what is happening on earth, God is still seated on the throne of heaven. It is easy for any of us to become unsettled or alarmed by life's circumstances. It is very easy when we just look at the horizontal to become very fearful or worried or anxious, sad. And it is good for us to remember the words of Isaiah that in the year that King Uzziah died, the Lord is still on the throne. Because there might be a situation in your life that you need to juxtapose the other half of this first verse to in your life. 
For some of you going through something very difficult, it's unsettling, you're troubled, it's worrisome. You need to put the second part of verse 1 right next to what you're going through, whatever that might be. Maybe, maybe you would say, in the year that I went through a divorce, I saw also the Lord. In the year that a loved one died, I saw also the Lord. In the year that I lost my job, I lost my home, I lost my health, I saw also the Lord. In the year of great fear or great anxiety or whatever I might be going through, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne. Whatever you might be going through, it's a good reminder here at Isaiah 6.1. Just kind of underline the second part of that verse. Because even though something that was thought to be a good day ended up being a bad day, you put things in perspective by remembering that nevertheless, God is on the throne, and God is in control, and God cares, and God sees, and God knows. David would say in Psalm 25, verse 15, my eyes are ever on the Lord. My eyes are ever on the Lord. And God was the living God, and God will always be the living God. God was the living God when the universe was spoken into existence, and he's still the living God. God was the living God when Nietzsche said that God is dead, and God is still the living God. God was the living God when John Lennon said that Christianity will fade away in his lifetime, and God is still the living God. And God will always be the living God a trillion ages from now when all the puny philosophers will fade into obscurity like a $2 bill, because God is on the throne. God rules, and God reigns, and God is sovereign. Well, then, if you'll glance further in this text with me, then Isaiah describes the majesty and the holiness of God. And this is, this is a, you know, I want you to try to imagine it in your, in, your, in your mind's eye here. The rest of verse 1, he says, And the train of his robe filled the temple. It tells us that there's a temple in heaven. There's a literal temple in heaven. In fact, the Bible says that the temple in Jerusalem used to be, it isn't standing there anymore, it used to be kind of a shadow of the temple that was in heaven. That there is an actual temple in heaven, and there is a throne within that temple, and that God is seated on that throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, we've all seen brides in beautiful wedding dresses with long trains that kind of flowed behind them. Um, it, it was kind of think more of a traditional thing than it is uh, so much these days. But it actually started in medieval times when a bride would have a long train depending on her prominence and prestige. The longer the train, the more prominent she was in society. And the same is true for the royal robe of a king or a queen. The longer the robe, uh, the more it was an indication of the royal prominence. And, and so as Isaiah is seeing this about the Lord's robe, and this train is just like wrapping all throughout the temple, I mean, it is a clear statement that his prominence is unmatched. That, that God is glorified in his temple with privilege and prominence and, and this incomparable splendor. And Isaiah sees this, just God and royal robes here and just the magnificence of this scene. And then if, if that's not enough, above and around the Lord are these seraphs that are mentioned here. These winged angelic creatures. And they're just, they're flying around and, and they're uttering words about the holiness of God. Now, a little bit about seraphs, or the plural, plural, plural word is seraphim, and seraph in Hebrew means 
uh, fire. And so seraphim literally translates fiery ones. These are angelic creatures, but they're, they're like lit up in fire that is not consuming them. And they have six wings, the Bible describes. Two wings they, they cover their eyes with. Okay, it's a statement of they, they, are, they are unworthy to behold the presence of God. The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who He is and what He expects from those who call Him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to Him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation, the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find a link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday and child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know